Did you know that the leading cause of accidental death in the U.S. is caused by drug overdose? Well, it's true, but addiction specialist Rob Kelly has made it his mission to help those recover their lives from this disease of addiction. Dr. Rob Kelly is a world-renowned, credentialed addiction consultant who for the past 20 years has helped over 5,000 addicts and alcoholics recover their lives. Listen, you got three DUIs, you lost your job, your wife is leaving you, I know exactly what you're going through. You are an alcoholic, my friend. A recovered alcoholic himself, Rob uses unconventional methods to empower his clients to fight their addiction head on. What I care about is trying to get you well, but don't waste my time. Deal? Rob is a triple threat against the disease, making permanent recoveries his life's mission and purpose. Rob Kelly, Ph.D., is a world-renowned addiction consultant who believes in treating the problem of addiction, not the symptoms. He has worked for many years helping addicts and alcoholics to recover their lives from the disease of addiction. Based on his own experiences working with addicts and alcoholics over the last 20 years, a PhD in psychology from Oxford University, and as a recovered alcoholic himself, he is a triple threat against the disease of addiction. Dr. Kelly was the CEO of a thriving telecommunications company when the walls came crashing down on him due to alcoholism. He ended up homeless and broken on the streets of Manchester, England until he found the courage to save himself. Since recovering, Dr. Kelly has made it his life's mission to assist other hopeless chronic alcoholics and addicts. His story is inspiring and sad at times, but it stands as a testament to the power of recovery. He has lectured at many high-profile universities and hospitals about addiction and is recognized as a leading authority on addiction recovery methods that are changing lives. Dr. Kelly is currently the CEO of the Rob Kelly Recovery Group, an addiction recovery coaching company he created based on extensive research and behavior studies that he conducted over the last 20 years. Dr. Kelly's methods may seem unconventional and unorthodox, leading some to refer to him as the Gordon Ramsay of the addiction world because of his direct no-nonsense and candid approach to treating addiction. Dr. Kelly works to make the road of recovery less of a mystery tour. I'm trying to bring the lightness side of it because, you know, I've, I suffered from alcoholism for many, many years, lost a lot of things, ended up homeless, you know, crazy things. And I have to tell you this because this was my aha moment. This is when I realized that for the rest of my life, I am going to educate people, treat people to fully recover from their disease. So not only am I guaranteeing you, by, by the way, I'm going to give you your money back if you don't. Gasp. No, nope. yeah. Well, this is my aha moment because this changed my life. I'm homeless. Believe it or not, million dollars to ho million dollar house to homeless. How does that happen? Addiction and alcoholism. I'm on the streets. I've been there for nine months. It's six o'clock in the morning. I'm sweating. It's six below in Manchester in England. I'm sweating. I'm, I'm getting the DTs. I'm, I'm shaking like crazy. And I walked into the liquor store and I, I put my ten pounds or ten dollars onto the counter. And I asked the guy for the bottle of vodka. And he put the bottle of vodka down. And this was my reaction. And it was then I realized, it's not the alcohol. 
It's not the alcohol. The alcohol is the symptom to this disease. What I have is this mental obsession, which will tell me every single time, while I'm drinking my first glass, where's my second one coming from? Where's my third one coming from? Well, it'll be different this time. Well, this, I won't drink as well. What I'll do is I'll drink wine instead of liquor. That's what I have, and it was that moment that I realized that for the rest of my life, this is a serious deal. I mean, if I was to ask the audience now, do they know somebody who suffers from alcoholism or addiction? And almost everybody will put their hand up. And my reply to you, if you don't, is it's probably you. You're listening to the Sober as Dope podcast. I'm your host, Pop Buchanan. I'm really excited today to bring you guys a really important guest, really important to me. This is a superhero segment of the Sober as Dope podcast where I'm bringing you the highest level of expertise in the addiction space. Today, we have the amazing and accomplished Dr. Rob Kelly. Dr. Rob, how are you feeling today? Oh man, thank you for that introduction. I'm feeling great now. I'm feeling amazing, absolutely <laughs> amazing. It's gonna be a great show. It's gonna be a great show. Well, Doc, I wanna start off by saying a few things. You and I have a lot of similar traits in our stories. And the one that really stood out to me was our that our rock bottom points where we was forced to, where we was compelled to really get on our knees and make a connection to cry out. It was a, it's a public display one, and it's the pivotal point in every addict's life where we realize we're powerless, we're sick of the compulsion, we don't want to die, and we're absolutely broken. And this is a sacred point for me and for you, because in both of our cases, this is where God somehow and spirituality came into the fold. And for you and me also, there's two angels that I like to say. In my case, it was a nurse and a doctor who made a, a, an extreme, um, they gave me a shot when I didn't have insurance and no one wanted to help me out. They didn't believe I was sick enough. I knew I was sick. I knew I was going to die, doc. This nurse gave me hope. She prayed with me. She said, I'm going to make an emergency plea to the director of the hospital. The director of the hospital came down and said, kid, if you're serious, I'm going to give you a shot but you have to be serious. And I said, I want to go all the way. I don't want to die. And that was the beginning of my story. They allowed me to go on to get, go on to detox. In your case, you're on your knees, you're crying out. And mysteriously, this angelic man comes around with a Bible in his hand and asks you if you want help. These are two acts of mercy and two miraculous instances that we both share. I just briefly want to talk about these angels in your life, um, the man with the Bible and the man that you describe as John in, from AA, who mysteriously vanishes, but after giving you about a good um, two to three uh, weeks of spiritual um, advisory. Can you talk about mercy and spirituality with addiction when we're at that rock bottom point? Well, well the rock bottom point for me, I'd been on the streets for 14 months. Uh, this is a guy that went to Oxford University, uh, came from a trailer park, but did really well for himself as a musician and uh, put myself from school. So I would, you wouldn't expect me to be on the streets. Absolutely. Well, I wouldn't anyway. So when I finally ended up there, it was just, I was sad. Everybody abandoned me. Everybody left me on the streets to die. I mean, everybody, friends, acquaintances, family wouldn't even speak to me. I used to call my mom and go, hey, mom, just put the phone down. It was just, it was sad. It was horrible. About 14 months in, I was down about 150 pounds. 
I was dying. I tried to commit suicide six times. On two occasions, it worked. I was dead for a minute and 90 seconds, and he brought me back to life. I'm walking down this side entrance, back entrance in Manchester, United Kingdom. It's dark. It's raining. It's 2.30 in the morning. I drop down to my hands and knees, and I start to cry from my belly. Not from my throat, but from my belly. And I'm sobbing and sobbing and sobbing, and the rain's coming down, and, and not and my tears and everything's just done and I looked up to the sky and I don't know why I did this to this day but I just looked up to the sky and I said if there's a God up there I can't do this on my own anymore and that's all I said and then I put my head down and then next minute I heard these footsteps and a guy came straight over to me he didn't walk past me or look at me he walked straight over to me as if he was on a mission and he said hey man do you need help and I said yeah I'm dying and he helped me get up and we walked to his, that man had missed his last bus home from a Bible study and been walking for four hours um, to get to his house. We was near his house. He took me back to his house and he said, you can stay here for as long as you like till you get on your feet on one condition. You've got to come to AA with me tomorrow. And I didn't want to go. I hated AA. Yeah. I'd been there before. It wasn't for me. But it, I had to try bed for the first time in 14 months. So I agreed. While I was there, the aforementioned John was halfway around the room and he said, my name's John and I'm a recovered alcoholic. And I thought, what, what did he just say? He had a white beard and white hair, spoke elegantly, held a big book in his hand, talked about God. He was like he was wearing armor, you know, God will save you, God will do this. You know, he tells you the big book about God. It mentions Jesus Christ in the big book. And, you know, I went to his house for eight weeks, there and back once a week, eight miles there, eight miles back every single week for eight weeks so i knew the way there yes i couldn't afford bus fare but i walked there it took me about an hour and a half to get there and we go in we study the book we'd come out the final day there i went through the second half of the step uh, steps long and I, I, I left him i left that man a different person wow. my dna had changed i got back home and within a week i got a little part-time job Within two weeks, I, bought, I got into a halfway house. So I bought John a little card and a little teddy bear and I wrote on him, thank you for introducing me to God. And I did the same walk I've been doing for eight weeks. I got back to the apartment and there's nobody there. I'm knocking on the door and the next door neighbor opens the apartment door and she said, can I help you? And I said, can you tell them where John's moved to? And she said, there's been no one in that apartment for six months that I know of. Oh so I'm thinking, oh, she's cuckoo, like, let her shut the door, went down to the other ones, knocked on his door, and a guy came, he looked pretty sensible, I shut and sound. So this guy's not crazy, obviously. Can you tell me where John's gone? And he said, I've only been living here a year, and since I've been here, there's been nobody in that apartment. Oh, Never found her. Wow. I, I, when, you, when I heard that story, I definitely thought divine intervention. God yes. put God put angels in our life. And, you know, since then, over 25 plus years, you've been helping people. So that means that God intended for you to really help change the world. And sometimes you never know, there's um, some really amazing divine intervention. That's an amazing story and testimony. And I appreciate you sharing that. So now I wanna talk about specifically trauma, all right? In my case, I'm, there's a big connection between trauma and addiction. And can you talk about 
if we start off with an origin point, the connection between childhood trauma and addiction for the people out there, maybe in your cases, um, you, you know, with your past patients or in general, childhood trauma, does that really have a role? Is that one of the origin points of addiction in your, in your opinion? It's pivotal. In our case studies, it shows that first of all, uh, the alcoholic, let's say for instance, is born with the addictive brain. You can track it back in your family. Some, you can track the family tree back. So it goes back. Trauma can kick it off. It has 95% uh, input is the trauma as a kid because it remaps our brain. So what do we look at trauma as? Well, here's my opinion. Anything less than nurturing as a child is child abuse. You've heard it. I've heard it. Get off there, you stupid idiot. Don't be silly. You can't do that. Now, you're not that clever. Your sister is. All these things mm -hmm. the, the young brain will take in. And the minute they have alcohol or drugs taken into the system and the brain goes, they've been suppressed for all that time. Oh, my God. Here's something that goes against what my parents and teachers and everyone told me. I'm not stupid. The brain reacts differently. Everything gets lit up. The neurons are firing for the first time probably ever. And you think, wow, this is it. But it's the trauma. There's always, always, always trauma. And people don't, well, people haven't been looking at this. They're starting to now and say, well, there might be some similarity. Always trauma. And you have to go back to the scene of the crime and you have to clear that up because if you don't, that's going to kill you. End of story. Bottom line, I love it. I love it. In my case, I was uh, I, I I trace my trauma back to bereavement and the loss of my father, and those repressed emotions were never really dealt with properly. So on a podcast, we talk about how the brain changes through trauma, through neuroplasticity, right? And it's very important for people to understand that a loss, a divorce, um, some form of rejection, maybe a bad fight. Some unresolved issue in your life can result as trauma, and then it creates this mental health component. So for me, I had to, it was bereavement. I had to go do the work with my father. I had to sit with a bereavement counselor. In addition to that, I had to sit with a therapist. I had to have a psychiatrist. So that brings me to my next thing, comorbid addiction, comorbidity in addiction, Having a dual diagnosis, sometimes your drug or alcoholism could be fueled by mental health issues or the mental health could be fueled by drugs or alcohol. How do you see comorbidity and these dual diagnoses playing out in your treatment? And lastly, there's a lot of, there's a lot of treatment centers who just deal with one aspect. They may just deal with the addiction. They don't deal with the mental health aspect. I think they should be combined in all cases. What's your opinion there? Can you talk about comorbidity in a recovery? Yeah, it, it happens more than people think. You know, people come to us at Rob Curry Recovery Group, and the first thing he says, hey, doc, you don't understand. Uh, I'm also depressed. Yeah, we know. I also have bipolar. Yeah, we know. And also, and they're giving us a string of things because they're all matched in. Because alcohol, first of all, is a depressant. Most drugs are depressant. If you're taking amphetamines or cocaine enough, then obviously the neur neurons stop firing. You start to get depressed. So it, it comes in an array of things. If, if it was easy as just stop drinking or stop using, the treatment centers would be empty. You know, it, it's nothing to do with that because we grab these childhood remapped brains because I have self-sabotaging neural pathways built in, ingrained in my brain. The other stuff that I learn is billions in the head. Driving a car is new neural pathways. 
but my self-sabotaging ones are ingrained. It's the go-to every time. And here's what we find, the hypothalamus at the back of the brain just made a prehistoric brain. It's, it's a fight or flight part of the brain. It will secrete into the brain and telling the normal human being to survive by drinking water and eating food. It's the two primary instincts. With the alcoholic brain, it tells it to drink alcohol when it gets under stress. So that's why alcoholics can go weeks, if not months, without food or, or water. They just survive on beer because that's what it's telling them. So that in, it, as in itself causes an array of problems from nerve damage endings to, to depression, to you know, psychosis. I mean, it comes in, in a bunch. And, and to, leave, to leave the childhood part, the depression, bipolar, schizophrenic, you know, whatever it may be, to leave them out and say, well, that's a different matter, I think you're heading for trouble. Absolutely, absolutely. And thank you for that. Um, in my case, I used to, I I would be able to drink for long long period of times. Then even when you show me water, I looked at oh get that away from me, you know, and oh food, ooh, 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 ooh. I couldn't even eat, and I just kept. And it was right that parasympathetic response in our brain was kind of hijacked, and um, our relationship with dopamine. So that brings me to my next question. Um, can you talk about what happens when there's a psychic change or neural pathway change due to having a spiritual experience and how that affects a DNA change in recovery? The spiritual experience and the psychic change together is two forces coming together. It's the realization and it's God taking control of you. We, this is my research going over 27 years. And you can Google this, my name, it'll tell you your DNA changes. And the way DNA changes, because one, neuroplasticity, and two, we can't forget the body complete. So we have a spiritual awakening. Something happens inside the body where the DNA changes so slightly. Why is this important? Because the same man will drink again. Mm. If, you, if you still have the same mindset, you're going to relapse. If you still have the, the same bodies, uh, mannerisms, you're going to relapse. If you keep hanging around the guys you used to hang with, you're going to relapse. I have a favorite saying over it. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Absolutely. If you're hanging around drunks and alcoholics and drug dealers, you're going to die a drug dealer or an alcoholic. You need to get out there. There's no point in, in creating in your head, like I did, a million-dollar lifestyle when you're hanging around a 10-cent brain. You can't do it. You've got to step away. You've got to make that move. And no, no alcoholic or any life changes. You know, and this is part of the body as well. Get it into your head that once you have the psychic change, which is a change of mind, something spiritual, and a spiritual awakening, which means now you find a higher power, something greater and bigger than you that you can tap into and give all the problems in. Therefore, this, the whole structure of the body changes because now you're filled with this power. Like that, that big book, when I read it, he says, I'm empowered to help other alcoholics. I'm not just, hey, let's get rid. I'm empowered. And when you get up in the morning and say to yourself, today is going to be an amazing day because I'm empowered. And whatever I do today is going to be absolutely fantastic. That's what happens. But watch the self-dialogue. Self-dialogue will kill people like me in your butt. Yes, yes, absolutely. So now I'm glad you segued into self-dialogue. 
we talk a lot about on the Sober as Dope podcast, especially we study um, the work of um, Dr. Bruce Lipton, a lot of your work, and um, Joe Dispenza. And we understand that it's very important our, to watch our internal dialogue. And you said something really pivotal earlier. You was talking about that default brain, that, that default programming that we actually go to. So they say, show me, um, show me the, um, seven, the first seven years and I'll show you the man, right? Uh, like it's an old monk saying. So we believe that our subconscious programming happens the first seven years of our life. And that's where, you know, we, don't, we pick up the negative traits from our environment. And there's this theory that our environment and our perception of our environment affects our internal environment, our health, our mindset, and everything like that. So the thoughts that we actually think we could change by being conscious, mindful, practicing mindfulness meditation, and using positive affirmations to reel it in and being conscious of that. Can you talk about, I know there's aspects of your aftercare treatment where you deal with something called NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming. Can you talk to us a little bit about that and if that helps that internal dialogue? Oh, without a doubt, it's 100%. We swear by NLP. I'm an NLP practitioner. And basically what we're doing is we're planting, we're planting thought patterns, words, and mannerisms while we're talking to you without you knowing. So that might be like, instead of drinking, I don't know, instead of drinking 40 cans of Coca-Cola a day, we think it's a great idea, Mr. Smith, if you started drinking water every day. And then we say today, hey, listen, how about us picking you up tomorrow morning to bring you to the office? So we prick him up and my driver will take him past every billboard in, in, in San Antonio that has water advertised. So by the time he gets into the office, we say to him, so what would you like to drink? And he says, oh, give me a Evian water, please. That's NLP. When you're planting things like you are, well, this is fantastic. And by the way, you're just freaking amazing. And then you go into something else and you come back and go, hey, you're fantastic. And then you go back. Because if I tell you a lie often enough, you're going to believe it. And if I tell you a lie real often, no, I'm going to believe it. Yes. So you're just planting these little things inside your head to make sure that you believe. And the subconscious brain will grab that. Yes. But, but what we need to do is we need to get it to the prefrontal cortex, which only job is to come up with a solution to a problem. That's the only job that this part of the brain has. And it does very quick. But if you can plant stuff in the subconscious brain, there's more chance of going for water than going to the liquor store or the drug dealer because it's already planted. So we continue that. And we continue to tell people that they're amazing, they're fantastic, you're unbelievable, I'm so proud of you, you're one of my heroes, I look up to you, all this stuff. The brain goes, yeah, give me some of that because I've never heard it. Again, back to childhood. No attaboys off the dad or the mom through school. Nobody tells us, look at what you do, man. You're amazing at what you do. When's the last time someone looked you in your face and said, you know what you do is life-changing, man. Life-changing. Because people think, Pop already knows. Doc already knows. We don't. And this is why it's important to compliment three people every single day. Because complimenting people changes lives. Words are so powerful, it's unreal. Let me tell you something real quick. We had a patient come in. His name was John L. He came in, we did a session, he started to drive home. My assistant came in the office and said, I've got some bad news. John L's father has just been killed in a car accident. And I don't know why they call the office. 
I said, don't worry, I'll call him. So I get on the phone and I, was, I said, John, you're pulled and he's pulling over. And I told him the bad news and he's sobbing, absolute sobbing. I said, are you okay? He said, no, I can't control my, I can't control my hands. I've just, I've just wet myself. Oh God, I can't do this. I'm losing control. And I put the phone down and next minute my assistant didn't even knock. She burst through the door. I said, oh my God, Dr. Kelly, we've got the wrong John. It's John B, not John L. Oh, so I'm like, well, you call John B and explain. Let me call John L back. So I called him back and we settled everything down. And he obviously was just amazed that it wasn't him. But then he got me thinking. His body, his mind, he shakes, he's wetting himself. Just on my words, not even true, wow. all on the phone. Wow. So if, if words can have that much effect on a human being, can you imagine if we told people good stuff every day? Yes. How yes. much effect that that has? Yes. You see, you know, Gordon Ramsay is a great friend of mine. And we're in his kitchen once in London and we're having dinner or something. And he turns around to me and said, Rob, do you know I'm the best chef in the world? And I said, oh, yeah, because you can cook well. But hell no. There's loads more better cooks than me. I said, why? He said, because I tell everybody. And that blew my mind. Wow. I started calling myself the best addiction artist in the world. Now I have the confidence of the best addiction artist in the world, just like he is the best confidence, the best chef in the world. And maybe somebody in out of Mongolia somewhere that can, that can kick his ass when it comes to cooking, but the mindset says no. Once you, once you can visualize it, you can hold it in your hand Absolutely. time and time again. And people, people look at this and go, oh, it's like a bit of a myth. Quantum physics, man. Quantum physics tells us, let's say a basketball court. It, quantum physics tells us a well-known fact and a fantastic science that I'm 25 places on that court at the same time. That's how the real eye could see if you could see that quick. Correct. Where do I want to be? I want to be over near the, the goal. I get the ball, I pop it in the basket, and I'm the hero. So how do we get there? Well, we walk over and we take the position. Absolutely. You interview for it. Yep. You ask for it. You just we take don't get it. scared about it. Yep. You've already seen yourself over there. Go and take it. It's all yours. Yep. You, I gotta, you have to own it. You have to own it. Yes. I love that. And, you know, you, you're talking about a lot of great things here. And I realized over the year, like years with like the law of attraction, the foundations of just the, 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 the thinking things into existence, owning things. The one thing that people miss in that equation is that you have to visualize, you have to say it, it has to be something that you repeat, but it's also to seal the deal and to create the magic of the manifestation. You have to fuel it with emotion. You have to actually feel it. So you can visually put yourself there. But if you don't really believe it, then it's not it's not going to have something a foundation to hold. So when you say I'm the best, yeah, if you believe it, it's you are the best. If no one else can see it yet, that's their problem. Eventually it'll come into it'll come into manifestation. So that's what I tell people out there. With my recovery, I think for me, I used to visualize once I got into that first day, I got that first bed miraculously, and I was lucky. I visualized my endpoint. I visualized getting my houses back. I visualized repairing the relationship with my loved ones and my girlfriend. And everything, this is, we're talking about eight years 
or seven and a seven point five years ahead, and look where we are now. You know, in my wildest dreams, I never thought I'd be on a live with Dr. Rob Kelly, right? But that's manifestation. I walked into my truth and I held it close. So my next thing I want to ask you about is our friend, Dr. Carl Jung, right? I always tell people when we study Dr. Carl Jung and the foundations of AA, he had a a, a, a phrase that he it was he was believed to have spoken to um, Roland H. Spiritus contra spiritum, right? The 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 spirit that you you need a bigger spirit than the spirit of the addiction to conquer the addiction, right? Can you talk to us about Carl Jung and his work in addiction? How that plays into your treatment and the concept of spiritus contra spiritum? Well, the psychology and the psychiatry that he was into was far before his time. And he realized stuff in, in the brain that was happening that only 10 years ago, the medical fraternity was like, wow, the brain is plastic. Let's call it neuroplasticity. Well, Carl Jung was discovering this many, many years ago, as we know. And his insights into the brain regarding addiction and alcoholism was way before its time. And it's a shame it was because it went, I, I've done this myself. The program I've got at the moment is well years before its time. And people don't understand it. They're a bit scared of it. And I said, I've got a 97% success rate. People go, that's impossible. Treatment centers are 4%. Yeah, it's, it's possible. We've got, we've got records and love. And I think, I always think I'm, I'm the modern day Carl Young because he had so many answers, but so little people was listening to him because it was so amazing what he was trying to say. And first of all, his work around alcoholism um, didn't really take any weight because they just used to throw alcoholics in the sanitarium and leave them there to die. So it wasn't a problem, it was just a disgrace when you drank. So I think his work brought into uh, the 19th and 20th century that it's, it's a disease because we have no control over it. It's a manifestation, so it's also an illness and a disease, and they have no control over it. And these are the basic facts that he was coming up with that the World Health Organization in 1995 finally said, we're going to class alcoholism as, as a, a disease. Mm -hmm. So his work was phenomenal. And, and he helped so many people and passed so much knowledge on. He, he, what a great guy. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes, Carl Young. It helped me out a lot because when I, I my success, so I try to explain to people that I started out through detox and I went to a traditional rehab and it was an outpatient rehab where I had to take drug tests every day and a urine test to make sure I was clean, go to counseling two or three times a day. Um, and then I also went to AA, right? But for some people, they have to continue to go. But I, I feel like I had such a healing and with the spiritual side that it was like almost a supernatural thing where I don't even think about alcohol no more. I'm 100% aware that I cannot drink. I don't play with that. That's something, there's no wiggle room there. I always let people know once you start, re first of all, relapse in itself happens on multiple levels before you actually physically relapse. So I tell people don't play with that. Can we talk about that? A little bit about relapse and your experience, uh, how people mentally relapse and psychologically and emotionally and spiritually relapse before they physically relapse and the stages of relapse. Alcohol will never come to anybody on a Monday and say, hey, little Johnny, let's relapse today. Never works like that. You look back a week or a few weeks before that and you trace where you thought Jenny in the corner was a pain in the backside 
and John over there is using that stupid Christmas pen 10 months after it's Christmas. And these little niggly things are setting yourself up for a relapse. I call that a relapse when we get in that state and we get laps in everything that we do. So we stop doing the main focus things, which is doing our daily prayers, doing the mirror work, you know, writing our resentments down, being kind to people during the day, get out at nighttime, review the day, see what's going on. Now, going to meetings and, and praying, and, and one or two of them will fall out. And they'll fall out because alcoholics and addicts are complacent. And they'll mm. fall out because it doesn't really make a lot of difference. I tell people that I take all this thing that I come up with. This is alcoholism for you. If it's tomorrow morning I told you to get up and instead of brush your teeth first thing, I want you to take the toothbrush out, I want you to brush your toes. Now you can clean your teeth later on during the day, but this is what you do when you go in the bathroom. We've tried it so many times. Guy goes in the first day, he's brushing his toes, he's laughing. Calls me up, yeah, you're crazy, doc. It's just so funny. And, and after about three or four days, the funniness wears off. And it now becomes, I don't know, I have to do this. And after about a week to two weeks, gets the toothbrush and he brushes his toes. Now he's getting a pain in the ass now because he's late for work. But after that, a couple of days into it, he's going to get up. And he did. He stumbled into the bathroom because he didn't sleep well. And, he, and, he, and he's late for work. And he automatically brushed his teeth. Mm. And that's an alcoholism addiction. Mm. Unless you've got it on the on the window and you walk in and do it on a daily basis, you're gonna relapse. No matter Absolutely. what you miss out, it's gonna relapse. You're gonna relapse. Wow. So you have to do whatever your system is, whatever work was put in place, you have to do that every day. You mentioned resentments and writing down resentments. How is that helpful in recovery? I, I really that's new to me. I like that concept and I think I want to incorporate it. Can you talk to us about the importance of writing down your resent resentments? Yeah, they say that resentments is uh, the number one offender. It destroys more alcoholics than anything else. Same with addicts. A resentment is uh, if I piss somebody off or they piss me off. So I'm going up at night time and writing it down. Because I have the addictive focused brain. Mm. Now, people with the addictive focused brain are very smart people. Most of them are fantastic CEOs who've never even touched a drink or drug. But they have the addictive focused, laser focused brain. So what happens is if we get a resentment of somebody, we concentrate. It becomes the main focal point of the day and the night, no matter what it is. And what happens is when we go home and write it down, we take the power out of it. We write them down, I'm resentful at, and then I put my part. Now, here's my part. Was I selfish? Well, yeah, I was really, because I stole $10 off of it. And then you write down what you had to say, and then you go to the place next day and you make your amends. Have to make the amends, and then you clear of it. It's your side of the street more about. People think amends are for the other person, they're not for the other person. I don't give a crap about the other person. I walk up to you and I go, hey, Paul, this is yesterday, you know, I did this. I'm really sorry for that. If there's anything I can do to make it up, uh, I will, buddy, bye. And I walk off. That's my amends, mate. That means I can sleep in peace that night. Yes. We got someone, someone coming to the practice about uh, seven years ago. And uh, his daughter had gone missing, run off with a boyfriend. But he came, he came to sue us for $10,000. Because he said it was our fault that they'd run off together. It wasn't. My, my attorney laughed at them yeah. and says, we, we will do these for a hundred grand of expenses. And I said, no. And I said to the guy, how much do you want? He said, $10,000. I wrote a check for him right there and I give him the check. Mm. And he looked at me and he said, why have you done that? And I said, because I'm not sitting with this for the next two years until he goes to court playing tricks with my head. 
mm. seeing how you know nasty you are and how I could have got away with it and now I want to go and burn your house down and I'm gonna and all this stuff that manifests in the brain there's your check don't want to see you again good luck sir and I walked off never thought about that again amazing amazing so that goes right into again going back to the mental health aspect where people tend we call it rumination right thought rumination you play things over and over and then we bring it back to a sense of mindfulness and emotional appraisals right and that's important to have a sense of mindfulness and to be at peace i think fundamentally for us doc is, is peace you have to yeah. get through, we because I feel you. I'm connected with you. In my life, I have to. I can't deal with negativity. No. I don't deal with people. I don't. I try not to deal with too many people overall. I have a small circle, and I surround myself with thoughts and ideas and things and people that are all positive and forward moving. Right. I tell people, if you're gonna fail, fail forward. Don't be afraid. That brings me to my most important thing that keeps us in that that drags us in our addiction, fear and escape. This escapism and fear. Can you talk to us about that for someone out there who's currently right now in the darkness? That's there's people who listen to the podcast that's still there and then they trying to get help. Can we put fear and escape in a perspective for people and really kind of give them some solid advice on how to get over that? nasty hump guys fear will stop you doing anything any good in your life fear will tell you you're not good enough fear will say you're never going to work fear will tell you that's not going to be you you're not this clever step down fear will try and stop you fear isn't real you look at how many times you've been in fear in your life about an occasion you get to the occasion the fear has gone it's done its job don't let fear hold you back don't let it hold you back you have an idea, you have something to achieve, you want to do something, you walk forward. If it's not your path, God will take you to a different path. But I think the devil is fear. Don't do this. He doesn't want you to go out there and preach. He doesn't want you to go into, into this and, and, and save five and a half thousand lives so far. So the fear came in. I walked through fear. If you've been where I've been, fear doesn't exist for me. You know, you get the nervous when every time I speak. That's good. That's excitement. A little nervous, but fear, no. You should you look fear in the in the face. You write that fear down on paper and you screw it up and you throw it away. And you walk and you see, you know, people make practical decisions based on fear. I had a friend once, he was a very good comedian in England, a very good comedian, but he was also uh, an, an architect. So one day this big idea come up, he's gonna go for an interview for a show on TV. It was just a one-off. There was 30 people there. We got down to the final 10, and he says, no, I can't do it. I've got a family, I've got kids. I'm going to stay in the job, in the architect job. It's good. The guy that got it, because they would have given it to him, was a multi-millionaire within a year. Oh the year God. after that, my friend got laid off by the company that he was trying to stick with. Practical decisions, guys. We make it with fear. You've got to look at it for what it is. Anything you do in life, you can succeed in if you want it. And I'm going to ask you this. I'm going to real close to my phone ask you, how bad do you want this? How bad do you want it? I came to America. What I want to do in America is be on TV, become a millionaire, write a book, do all this stuff. I got speaking very luckily in 1978 to Arnold Schwarzenegger when he was doing a, a tour in the, before he was famous. He just finished pumping iron. It's like a, 
like a movie that nobody had heard of. It was yeah, like yeah. The Backstreet Movie. That's one of my favorite movies. Well, I'm sat in a hotel with Arnold and he's speaking in worse English he does now. And he's talking about mindset and he's talking about the power of the mind. And I said, okay, then, well, tell me two things that you're going to do that I will not believe. And he said, I will become a number one box office actor. I said, okay. And <laughs> I will marry into the Kennedy family. Oh, wow. I swear that's what he told me. And I wrote that down. I've got pictures of me and him somewhere. And oh, my goodness. And when I saw that, when I saw that happening, he wasn't having a no or fear or escape from nothing. He was there on a mission from God mm. to get into a place where he could entertain millions of people. We all have that in us. We all have the chance to do. Everyone's got a niche in market, no matter what it is. Everyone, it might be juggling, painting, you know, doctor, nurse, whatever it is. We need to find that niche, and we need to we need to believe that we're the best in the industry. I go down in the corner and cleans cars. You know what I tell him every day when he comes? You are the best valeted car cleaner I have ever seen. Mm. Ever seen. I don't know whether he is or not, but he believes he is now. That's and that's the point. That's the point. That's the point. So you conquer it. So fear, conquering that fear. Step, you said it. Step into it. Step into your destiny. Step into your purpose. Um, we had this a motivational speaker friend of the podcast, Dr. Eric Thomas. Uh, but he always said you have to want it as much as you do, do, you need to breathe. Right. That same necessity you have for breathing. That's how much you need to want it. So, Doc, tell us about your book, Daddy, Daddy, Please Stop Drinking. Um, I really love the title, Daddy, Daddy, Please Stop Drinking, mainly because we cover a lot of children of adult alcoholics or children of alcoholics, adult children of alcoholics, and how that goes back to the childhood trauma. I love the title. Can you talk to us about your book? Yeah, I'd love to. My book, I've got to tell you a little pre-story first because that's where the title comes from. Um, I'm sat with my kids one day, wife has left, um, and I brought my kids into the lounge. I sat him down in front of the TV. I walked into the uh, kitchen and I just opened one beer. Just had one drink to celebrate getting my kids back. The top came off. Three days after, when I was unconscious and the police kicked the door in, the child, the two kids, one and three, have not been changed diapers. They've not been fed. They're almost starving to death and nearly died. The policeman kicked me and served me papers for unfit father. As they were dragging my children down, the three-year-old turned around and she says, Daddy, Daddy, please don't go. And then she turned around and says, Daddy, Daddy, do you please get better? And the last thing she said as she walked around the corner was, Daddy, Daddy, please stop drinking. And I couldn't do it. Mm. 22 years passed, and I never seen my daughter. 18 months ago, just before the book came out, I got a message on Facebook saying, Dad, can you come over and see me? I miss you. I've been over to England four times. I've held my granddaughter who has won. We have an amazing relationship today. So the book is about that. The book is about my story. The book is about inspirational stuff. The book is informational stuff for families. And the best thing of all is, you know, you, you hear uh, you hear people say, well, I've got a book out there and all the profits go to, and I watch that word, profits go, no. All the proceeds, every single dime that's spent on the book on Amazon, Daddy, Daddy, Please Stop Drinking, goes back into the community. $250,000 last year from Rob Kelly Recovery went to buying cars buying apartments for a Christmas present for the kids. You've got to be in recovery. You've got to be a single parent family. And this is what we need. We donate to good causes. 
because that's what God tells us to do. So that's what the book's about. If you enjoy it, you know, there's the deal. If you pay, it's $14.99. I think it's free if you do electronic. If you want the book, go on it, buy it. If you don't like it, give me a call. You know how my number is. I'll refund your money. You know, it's that good. I mean, it really is. If you're an alcoholic, you'll get it. Or a drug addict, you'll get it. If you're a mom or dad or wife or, of an alcoholic, it'll make you cry. Mm. It'll make you weep. Then it'll make you laugh. Then it will give you hope at the end of the day. Oh my God. Thank you so much. I, I got emotional. The fact that you recently reunited with your daughter, you were patient. And the most important thing about that doc is a lot of people try to do the recovery process for other people. And it may still be subconscious. I'm doing this for my kids, but then it may take 15 to 20 years for your kid to come around. So if your recovery is built on that, you're going to relapse, right? So you did it for the right reasons and you were patient, right? You didn't go hounding them. You didn't go, you waited, you kept doing the work you, and, and, and God, and you finally reunited. That's so beautiful. Hey, do you want to know something else? Pop? Listen to this. So 18 months ago, we started to talk. I went over there to see her and I said, what are you going to do with your life? And, and little, little Alice, and she says, Dad, I want to become a drug counselor. I really want to come. So I said, okay, I'm going to pay for you to go to college. So she went to college, and two weeks ago, she uh, graduated with a diploma wow. in drug counseling. So now she's going to be working with a dad. Oh, uh, look at that. Isn't that? That's something else. Wow, that, no, brought, that brought chills to my spot. And that's the thing I tell people. I say this. I tell people, watch this. Every day. You choose recovery. You're going to get a gift in some way. It may be an idea. It may be a phone call. It may be some form of thing that you're able to accomplish in your life. You may be some project, something. You have to watch it. You An epiphany. There's always gifts every day. Like you're a gift to me today. You're a gift to the Sober is Dope community today, right? We woke up today. It was a big day. My family's excited. Everyone is saying today's a big day, right? You stick in there. You don't have fear and you believe. And then recovery gives you back in plentifold, right? So thank you for that, Doc. I, I really, I really needed to hear that. Can and um, before we wrap up, uh, I have a few things. Your treatment. Can you tell the, the world and the community? We have a lot of people that listen to the podcast. Like anyone that's struggling, they reach out to you. What can they expect? Give us a real, um, a little overview of your treatment process, your aftercare, and your work that you do at the Rob Kelly Recovery Group. So what we do is a ninety-day program, and it's one hour a day seven days a week for 90 days you said spend five days with me uh, on the internet we do zoom because it's HIPAA compliant so we do telehealth five days with me two days with my psychotherapist and it's a 90-day program and what we're basically doing is we're changing the way you think we're changing the way you behave you get lots of homework there's check-ins four times a day with janet we're always calling you following up man and the idea is when you get to the 90 days you've got the job back or a new job You've got the wife back or you've got a new girlfriend. You're seeing your uh, kids again. It's the family reunite. We've been reuniting families since the year 2000 or something like that. This is what we specialize in. It's not the drink and the drug, guys. Forget about that. That's a given. I guarantee you'll never use a drink again with my program. Mm. Don't forget psyche change, spiritual awakening, DNA change. Uh, You're not the same man. And all this together brings this fantastic program and then what we do after that, after the 90 days is finished, 
you'd think, oh, well, that's it, Rob. I'll just, I'll just shoot off. I'll see you later. No, no, no. Every month, you get 30 minutes with me personally, free of charge for the rest of your life. Wow. That's my commitment into you. And what we say here at Rob Kelly Recovery Group is you pay for an hour a day, we'll put in two hours a day. So it's a three hour a day, really. Because I'm, I'm not taking anybody on who just mommy and daddy wants to pay for it. That's not my patient. Go away, go to a treatment center. I'm sort of the guys that really want to get well. If you want to invest in yourself, I'm going to invest in you, in you as well. Because I'm going to show you that I'm confident to get you a place where you'll have a life behind your wildest dreams and nothing is impossible. And you'll be an absolute gentleman. Talk accordingly, speak accordingly, and act accordingly. And you'll just become empowered. And everybody around you will think you've had something implanted in your brain. That's what most people do. We have an office that we used to use for a massage office. We've had to take it all out. It's just cards of people saying, I can't believe my son's been in treatment for 20 times and he's now three years sober. And it's like, this is a passion. It isn't a job. It's a passion. We only take on four patients at any one time. So every 90 days, four patients only. I ain't taking five because your time is my time. And I will do whatever it takes. Like if you go missing in Florida somewhere and we have a plane, I'm jumping on the plane, I'm flying down there and I'm going to come and get you. And if you want to try and argue against it, I'm going to handcuff you and I'm going to stick you in. I have somebody in Florida that will stick you in jail until you want to come back with me. Because my guarantees to you is I'll get you to a different place, whether you want to or not. Once you pass your assessment and you have a mustard seed that wants to get well, I'll hold your hand. I'll fight your disease, guys. I will fight your disease toe-to-toe. And I'm a pretty good fighter being on the streets for a, for a year. Bare, bare, bare knuckle Boston and stuff. I'll stand toe-to-toe with your disease. And I tell you now, if you're a betting man, you need to bet on me. Wow, there you go, ladies and gentlemen. The superhero episode of the Sober is Dope podcast, the great Rob Kelly. Rob, that is so amazing. And that mustard seed, is that mustard seed the 1% willingness to change? Is that the mustard seed? All right, there we go. Ladies and gentlemen, sometimes all you need, in most cases, all the time is a 1% willingness to change. And then if you're really sincere, so for everyone out there that's listening to this episode, don't fool yourself. Don't trick yourself. Addiction is nasty. The best thing that we can say to you is be extremely honest. When you're ready, when you're willing to do the work, you could get there, but you have to be certain. You have to be willing. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to the Sobers podcast i'm so excited dr rob before we go any advice to the recovery community and can you let everyone know where they can find you and how they can find you um your website and everything guys if you're in the, if you're in the recovery world already start doing something different go to a meeting to bear witness that are still suffering alcohol don't go because you need a meeting if you're suffering out there guys or you know a loved one that's suffering it's always best to act then leave it alone until it gets to the alcoholism or addiction stage. Make no bones about it. There are hundreds of thousands of people a year dying of alcoholism and another hundred of thousand dying of overdoses and drug addiction. The records are not kept, and I'm not going to go into why they're not kept, but alcohol and drug addiction is the biggest killer out there. You need to treat it. We have an epidemic on our hands. Now listen, I'm going to do two things. 
So uh, R-O-B-B-K-E-L-L-Y.com, RobKelly.com with two Bs. Jump on my website. Google Dr. Rob Kelly. All the stuff is there. But listen, I'm so impressed with what Pop does on here. And I'm blown away the connection that me and him have. That just for your listeners, Pop, I'm going to give you my personal phone number. And I'll tell you why I'm going to do this. Because if you have any loved ones out there that are worried, if you have any guys out there that go, oh, I can't afford to go to treatment or I don't know, call me up. It ain't going to cost you anything for a 30-minute phone call with me. I will direct you. I'll give you a pep talk that will blow your mind because we need to do this. This podcast is the best podcast I've been on. And you do such an amazing job. So I want your listeners to benefit from this. Okay, guys? So get a pen. It's going to come across the screen later, no doubt. But two, one, four. Six zero 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 two one zero is my personal cell phone. Nobody gets my personal cell phone, but you guys listening today, call me up. If you're having a bad day and go, Oh god, I've got work in the morning. I wish you could spend 10 minutes with Dr. Rob. Call me. Your life will be changed in 10 minutes. And you got pop to thank, not me. I'm doing this because this man is an amazing guy. I look up to him, he's fantastic. Thank you very much, Doc. And likewise, right back at you. Thank you for showing us love. You blessed us today with your grace. And God bless you for all the hard work you do. It doesn't fall on deaf ears. We love you. God bless you, Doc. And we will have you on again. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to the Sober is Dope podcast. That's a wrap with our episode with the amazing Dr. Rob Kelly. I catch you guys on the other side. Do you or someone you know have a problem with addiction? Do you wonder why you keep relapsing? It's time to take a no-nonsense approach to treatment and stop wasting your money. At RobKelly.com, we will fight toe-to-toe with your addiction. Our one-on-one philosophy has a 97% success rate, designed specifically for you in a non-clinical environment. It's time to stop negotiating with the disease. Step out of the disease and into the solution at RobKelly.com.